Well, if you would, open your Bibles to Revelation uh, chapter 21. This is our final sermon in our series, uh, The Promises of God. And in this passage, at the end of Revelation, it's the second to the last chapter in the entire Bible, um, we see that the Apostle John is brought up into the heavenly realms in a vision. uh, And he sees what God is going to do uh, to bring about an age to come. We're given a glimpse of what God has planned in the future for his people. And um, it's spectacular. Let's uh, read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this glimpse of the age to come that you have promised. May we as your people, um, with hearts filled with spiritual power, believe what is to come. May you illuminate our hearts here this morning so that we can more fully see and comprehend and rejoice in your gracious work towards us, we pray. Amen. Think of all of the things that you used to not be able to live without, but now you gladly do. Who here has uh, developed a roll of film in the last five years? Who has used a set of Ginsu knives lately? Uh, Has anybody here uh, in the past bought one of those PDAs? You know, one of those Palm Pilots, right? Where is that thing right now? Um, Who here has put a tape into a VCR anytime lately and and hit the play button. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? The new things we long for will one day become old things that we gladly live without. Which makes the promise that we see in this passage seem a little too good to be true. (laughs) John, 
the disciple is taken in a vision up into the heavenly realms where he sees Jesus seated on the throne of God. And Jesus says in verse 5, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. This morning we will investigate that statement of Jesus. We're going to ask three questions. We're going to ask, what is he talking about? How does this happen and who will experience this? First, what is he talking about? Three things. Nothing short of complete redemption and renewal of the entire universe. And nothing short of heaven on earth. And nothing short of perfected human experience. First, nothing short of complete redemption and renewal of the entire universe. All right, um, let's pretend you like making butter. I know that's kind of weird. Let's just act like you like making butter. Can we just agree to do this for just a moment? All right, and then I have a cow, a really nice cow. Uh, she gives really good milk. And so say I'm, I offer to bring you some milk so you can make your fabulous butter, but I bring the milk over in an old rusty pail. Right? It looks like paprika in there, right? What would you do? You would, you would reject it, right? You would say, no, thank you, Mark. Um, I don't need your milk. And rightly so. Now, as we will see, what does this have to do with anything? All right. Uh, as we'll see later in, our, in this sermon, we're going to see that God is going to create his people or recreate his people with Jesus-like resurrected bodies, pure and holy and powerful and good. But if he does that, he cannot place them on the same old earth. That would be like putting fresh milk in a rusty pail. God has promised here nothing short of the complete redemption and renewal of the entire universe. First, let's affirm something. God's earth is good. When he created it, what did he say after creating all things? He says, uh, behold, it is good. Even after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God's creation is to be seen as good. But we also must recognize that it is also fallen, it's corrupted, it's cursed. We, we live in a world in which tow trucks need tow trucks. This past week, I'm not joking, Josh can affirm it, all right? I'm like, look, 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 Josh. I think he just barely caught the end of it. But here's what I saw, at least. I saw a tow truck with a nice, like, white Range Rover on the back of it. You know when those tow trucks that tilts down and they pull it up and then they bring it up like this? I saw one of those going down the road being towed by a giant tow truck, the kind that pulls, like, semis, right? I saw a tow truck pulling a tow truck. You should have seen it. It was good. Well, it was pretty cool. All right. We live in a world in which tow trucks need tow trucks. See, the effects of sin pervades not just humanity, but creation itself. Creation longs for the renewal that God has promised. We see this in Romans chapter 8, where, where Paul writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's that day to come that God is promising. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then, check this out. For, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together 
in pains of childbirth until now. When sin entered the world through the sin of one man, all of creation became tainted. And and it's groaning. What is creation groaning for? Resurrection. Redemption. Renewal that God has promised through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus promises here in this verse. In verse 1 he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The first earth, that's this earth here and now. And Jesus says there's a day coming when it will pass away, it will die. And when it dies, it, it, it comes back resurrected, a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be a world, though, without the ravages of sin. That's likely what the phrase means in our passage where it says, In the sea was no more. Ancient people associated the sea with evil and, and chaos. And so what Jesus is promising here is that with the removal of, of uh, evil and chaos, uh, there will be nothing left in God's good creation which could threaten or taint uh, anything of God's goodness that he has in plan for that, for that day. You know, God will not put uh, milk in a rusty pail, right, so to speak. Another point worth noticing is that God isn't scrapping this world entirely. He's not like like a painter who takes a canvas and just throws it away and starts from scratch. It will be this very world, this very earth, yet redeemed and renewed um, in splendor and glory. Consider this quote from Edward uh, Thurnison. Here's what he says. The world in which we shall enter in the parousia, or the return of Jesus Christ, is therefore not another world. It is this world. This heaven, this earth, both, however, passed away and renewed. It is these forests, these fields, these cities, these streets, these people that will be the scene of redemption. At present, they are battlefields full of strife and sorrow of the not yet accomplished consummation. Then they will be fields of victory, fields of harvest, where out of the seed that was sown with tears, the everlasting sheaves will be reaped and brought home. God is making all things new. God has promised nothing short of the, of the redemption and the renewal and the entire cosmos. He's also promised us nothing short of heaven on earth. Those of you who are a little bit older will remember the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup commercials from the early 80s. You remember the one where the guy is uh, walking along down the, down the city street and he's got his Walkman on, right? Where is your Walkman, by the way? I don't know. Uh, he's got his Walkman on and he's just, you know, he's, he's eating on a big old uh, uh, candy bar, chocolate candy bar. He's walking along. And then coming the other way is a woman walking down the street. She's got her Walkman on as well. And she's carrying what all women carry when they walk around the streets. It's an open jar of peanut butter. You know, and she's eating peanut butter and mindless and clueless. And, and then what happens? They collide at the corner. And she says, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. And he goes, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. And then they take a bite and they both go, hmm. <laughs> it's a marriage of two good things, chocolate and, and peanut butter. In verse 2, God promises the marriage of two great things, heaven and And earth. We see it in, um, look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You got your heaven on my earth. You got your earth on my heaven. Mm. 
All right, maybe I pushed that illustration a little too far. You get the point, though, right? <clears throat> Somebody's going to want a Reese's Cup at the end of this day. I'm thinking. God has been preparing his people for this day. The imagery is that of a bride being beautifully um, prepared for, by, her, by her future husband for her wedding day. Ever since man first walked the earth, ever since that very first sin and rebellion and turning away from God, God has been redeeming and restoring a people unto himself. Currently, where are all those people who have died? Where are they? Well, they, their bodies lay in the ground, but their souls are in, in the presence of God Almighty. And they are experiencing joy upon joy upon joy. But one day, God will say, today's the day. And in the twinkling of an eye, this will all usher in. He will recreate heaven and earth, and he will bring heaven to earth. And his people will be raised from the dead in new and glorious bodies to dwell forever. Heaven is coming to earth. should blow your mind. (laughs) It's not often what Christians really think about. Often Christians think, well, heaven's just some place where you go and you hang out. It's kind of boring, you know, and you're just like this. You don't even have a body anymore. You're just some spirit floating around. That's not what God has in store. Heaven comes to earth. And, and John tells us more than just heaven coming down, God himself is coming down to be with his people. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God himself, it's emphatic. He's trying to make a point. It says, it's just God himself is coming down to be with his people whom he loves and cherishes, that he is redeemed with such costly redemption. He's coming down to be with them. Now, there's some people today who aren't all that excited about even being near to God, right? I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun, or, you know, so they say, right? But that's rubbish. That's a lie. It's not true. In God, there is perfect love, joy, delight, happiness, and satisfaction. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. To be near him is good. To have him dwell with you is amazing. We must long for that. Our problem is that humans, as we are now, we now seek happiness in just about anything else other than Something that flows from the presence of God. What we need is to have our, our heads cleared out and, and our eyes properly focused on what John is telling us. Because if we fully comprehend and understand and receive this, it would, should be for us as if we are children on Christmas morning. This is the good news. God is coming down to dwell with his people. Now, it's not like God hasn't dwelled with his people before. Read in, in, in the early in the accounts of Genesis, um, before the fall, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And then later with Moses, we have the tabernacle. And then later the temple where God dwelled with his people, although behind a curtain, but the priests could approach him. 
And of course, certainly in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he tabernacled, he dwelt um, here on earth with his people. And yes, most assuredly, in his church, filled with the Spirit of God, God dwells with us. But this is a whole new level of dwelling. This is God in his fullness. This is not God behind a curtain. This isn't just God that you kind of sense is present with you. This is God himself with his people. God has promised a day when this happens. And it's going to be with perfection and and permanence. So we've seen that God has promised nothing short of the complete redemption and renewal and restoration of the entire universe, and nothing short of heaven on earth, we also see that God has promised nothing short of perfected human existence. Look at verse 4. God, he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. They will die. You long for this. No, you do. You long for this. With every fiber of your being, you long for this. You long for a world free of cancer diagnosis. You, you long for a world without betrayal. You long for a world free of, a, of abuse and injustice and crime and hunger and disease and famine. And isn't that true? Do you not long for a day when you can never again say or do anything you regret? You long for this. And it's promised to you in Jesus Christ. You know, buying a new Michael Kors handbag, as nice as that is, that's not going to take away the thirst that you have for this. Playing 18 holes on Pebble Beach might take your mind off things for a while, but it will not suffice. It will not suffice. Truth is, you and I long for a world that's completely purged of all human sinfulness. Guess what? When Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new, this too he is promising to you. Jesus, uh, God isn't just going to resurrect a new heavens and a new earth. He is also going to redeem and resurrect uh, people who belong to him. Paul writes of this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body? Elsewhere, John writes, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's hard to fathom. Jesus currently, he has a body. I don't know if you know that. He rose from the dead in a body, a glorious body. He's still in it. He forever will have a body. All right? And it's glorious. If you want to read more about it, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about the new spiritual body that's coming. Uh, There's a book on the book table by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. Great book. Read that. 
order N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, Surprised by Hope by, by N.T. Wright. Amazing book on, on this. Not enough time to go into it. But anyway, understand this. God's ultimate goal for his people isn't that we be separated from our bodies. That we would like forever float around in some ethereal, bodiless, just spiritual, heavenly bliss thing. Yes, if you died today, your body would be laid in the ground. But your spirit would be present with Christ, with the saints in heaven. But understand, this is simply an intermediate state. It's like a staging area for the big event, right? The big event of God redeeming and renewing and restoring this universe in spectacular fashion. And then reuniting our redeemed Holy Spirits now, incapable of of even a sinful thought, with new bodies that are uncorruptible and cannot decay. And he's going to unite them together and bring us to earth and he's coming down. That's that's it. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) If we could just believe that. There is a Christ-like resurrection awaiting all who rest in Christ. Christians, you believe this. So that's the first question. What is Jesus talking about? Now for the second question. How does this happen? Have you ever sat mesmerized by a magician, right? Um, I know they call themselves illusionists, I'm sorry. Uh, have you seen an illusion? Uh, and and you, what do you do? You sit there and you go, how in the world did he do that, right? <laughs> um, we should have a similar question here this morning. Uh, how does this happen? How does this even come about? Well, what we need to know is, uh, here's how it comes about. It happens because God is faithful and powerful and trustworthy. God is faithful. He's always promised for this renewal. You know, the other day I was watching this reality show where they, they have restaurateurs in New York City. Maybe you've seen it's called Consumed. But there's this woman who has a really successful, thriving restaurant in Harlem. And the space right next to it was for rent. And so she just rented it. She didn't even know what she was going to do with it, right? And uh, then she sees the bill every month. She's like, I better do something with this. And they try to figure out, what should we do? Well, let's just tear a hole out. And I guess we'll just put a bar here. And, and then they, they found out how expensive it was going to be, like $600,000. Like, wow, I didn't really think it'd be that much. Uh, but at the end of the day, I guess she's like, going to renew and renovate this space right next to her restaurant. Uh, That's not how God's going about this. God wasn't up in heaven scratching his head going, ah, look what those humans did. They turned their back from me. They fell into sin and brought all this chaos into this world. Now what am I going to do? Oh, no, no. God God knew that, that... Human beings made in his image would do this. He knew it was coming. He had also provide, planned and provided for the day in which he would fix all things. God is not operating on a plan B, you know. Um, this has been a, his plan from the beginning of time. God is faithful, therefore, to bring this about. God is also powerful to bring this glorious future into reality. In fact, from God's perspective, this has already happened. Look at what we read in verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done. From Jesus' perspective, right now in heaven, it's a done deal, right? Alpha, that's the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. Jesus is is saying, I'm the A to the Z. (laughs) I'm the beginning and the end. 
Christ holds time in his hands. You and I, we are locked inside of time. The tick-tock, tick-tock of time is inescapable for us. We are finite creatures. But God is infinite. The tick-tock of time, he, he created that. You know, a question I'm often asked is, well, well, then, who created God? You know, the assumption is that if God made all things, then he himself must have been made, right? Must have had a, a beginning, but you see, people are locked inside of time. They, they have a hard time understanding that God has always existed. The tick-tock of time is his creation. He stands outside of time. And therefore, from God's perspective, all that has ever happened, all that is happening right now, and all that will one day happen in the future, from his perspective, it's like an Instagram in his hand, but like a, a, a 4D one, you know? God holds time in his hands. It's nothing to him. And so for Jesus, from his perspective, this is done. It's a done deal. We also um, know that he's seated on a throne, right? We see that he's seated on the throne, which means what? He is in the powerful position to make this all occur. You know, as a kid, I grew up, I became a Christian when I was 29. When I was a kid growing up, though, you know, I, I, I thought that that good and evil were two equally powerful opposite forces that would, that would kind of uh, single each other out, you know? Um, we see it in things around us like the yin and the yang or, or the old uh, comic strip spy versus spy, you remember that? Uh, the belief is that good and evil are so perfectly matched that neither one will be successful, but that's not what Scripture shows. That's not what we see here. God is on his throne, and he has the power to bring about that day. He could bring about it any day. He could bring about that day today, right? Not only is God faithful and powerful, he's also trustworthy to bring this about. You know, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows that we doubt. He knows that we even take his promises. You do this, right? You take his promises and you pick them apart, right? He knows this about us. And so um, he says to the apostle John in verse 5, he says, write this down, <laughs> For these words are trustworthy and true. Thankfully, John did write these words down. It shows us, though, that Jesus really wants us to know that this day is coming. And he wants us to live with believing hearts um, so that we can live in this world that's full of all kinds of competing distractions for our affections. He wants his church to trust him. Jesus' words are trustworthy and true. So, how does this cosmic renewal happen? It, it happens because God is faithful and he is powerful and trustworthy. But perhaps you're saying, but Mark, really, seriously, how does he do this, you know? How does he um, take a broken, corrupt universe and breathe, like, perfection into it how does he take dead people whose bodies are decomposed and like raise them from the dead and brings their spirit to them and, and cause them to live forever and thrive how does he do that mark i don't know <laughs> i don't know how he does it but i do know he's done it before therefore i know he can do it again 
Let me ask you this. If the biblical story is true, and I know for some people that's a big if, but if the biblical story is true, that God did make all things that exist, and he made it out of nothing just with the power of his words, can he not then, with stuff that's already here, fix it, reclaim it, redeem it, renew it, restore it? I would think so. I would think he could. But perhaps you desire greater proof that this will be done. There's no greater proof that this day is coming other other than the cross of Christ. Do you remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ? Do you remember that? The Passion of Passion means suffering. It's a it's a very graphic display of the the last events leading up to the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And and there's a scene in that maybe you remember it where Jesus has already been condemned. He's been brutally beaten. Um, and mocked and ridiculed, and he's forced to carry his, the cross out of Jerusalem up to Calvary. That's the mountain where he was crucified. And there's a scene where he's all bloody and, and bruised and sweaty and exhausted, and he's, and he's struggling to carry his cross through the, the narrow cobbled streets. And, and all of a sudden, into the frame of the movie, you, you see Mary, Jesus' mother, and he looks at her. And he says, I am making all things new. Jesus knew that in order for the world to be renewed, that in order for you and me to be renewed, there must first come redemption. And the redemption that this world needs and you and I need, the only redemption that is powerful enough to bring about what we're talking about is the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of the sin of the world, all the rebellion and the betrayal and everything, took it upon himself so they may be purged forever from this universe and from people made in God's image. And, and, and so what we see in the cross is we see proof. We see proof that this day is going to come. Jesus didn't just die and and rot in a tomb. Three days later, he rose. What we need to see is that Jesus is both the proof and the prototype of our resurrection to come, as well as the world's resurrection to come. So we asked, what is Jesus talking about? We asked, how does this happen? The last question is, who will experience this? Who will experience this? The answer is thirsty conquerors. Write that down. It's in there. Did you see it? Did you see it in the passage? Thirsty conquerors. At the end of verse 6 and all of verse 7, here's what we read. Here's what Jesus says. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Those who thirst for the redemption and the renewal of Christ will be given it in Christ. Remember in John's gospel, there's the account of a a woman at a well. She's deeply entrenched in sinful lifestyle. And she's completely ostracized from her own village, her own community. Jesus is sitting alone by the well. His disciples went to get food and drinks. Um, 
think a Red Bull and some Slim Jims or something. Jesus was sitting alone by the well, and the woman approached him. Jesus asked her for a cup of water, broke all, all boundaries of convention in those days. She was surprised. She was shocked that a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for anything, let alone a cup of water. Jesus replied, listen closely. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman uh, said to him, she looks around, she's like, sir, she's like a real pragmatic person. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is pretty darn deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He dug this well, he gave it, we drank from him himself, his sons did, and all of his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this water, will be thirsty again. That relationship, it will satisfy somewhat, but you still will be thirsty. That new car, it'll leave you thirsty. That career, that vacation, that perfect body, oh, you'll be thirsty again. All right, Jesus didn't say all that. That was me. But he went on to say this. (laughs) But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, Well, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I don't think he's talking about ordinary drinking water here. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. The water that Jesus gives you is forgiveness of sin and eternal life, participation in what we were talking about here this morning, the age to come, the thing that you thirst for. And what we need to see is this is a gift. A lot of people think Christianity is about knowing the right rules to follow and you're doing them right and then God's going to say, well, good job. You finally proved yourself, finally made up for all that other stuff. Come on, this is for you. Come on down, right? That's what people think Christianity is. It's not. Christianity is for the thirsty. It's for the people who know they cannot come up with a record good enough to enter into heaven. It's for people who know even on their best day, they still fall short and are selfish. Uh, it's, It's for people who are thirsty. And Jesus says to the thirsty, I will give. Salvation is a gift. For those who are thirsty. And to, and to emphasize the point. You see what he says? I will give from the spring of the water of life. Without payment. Just so long as you know. I mean, I'm giving it to you. And it's not going to cost you anything. To all who see their need. To all who thirst. To all who turn in faith to Christ. He gives the water of eternal life. Without payment. It's grace. It's a gift. Do you thirst for this water of life that Jesus gives? Thirsty conquerors. We've got conquerors in here too. Jesus also says 
The one who conquers will have this heritage. And you may be thinking, Mark, I thought you just said it was a free gift. Now it sounds like I got to go conquer something. Like, you know, what do I got to take with me? What do I got to a club or something? What am I going to do? Right? It sounds like work, right? <clears throat> Understand this. The context is Christians in the first century A.D. suffering through great persecutions and trials, having all kinds of things around them that would lure them away from following Christ and trusting in him. Uh, homes are being stolen. Difficult, difficult times. As we saw a few weeks back, God actually uses those trials and hardships in our lives uh, to, 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 to prove, to, to test in, uh, our faith, but also to transform us more and more into the likeness and image of his son. Children of God experience these trials. These trials are made to, to, to prove your faith genuine. You know, but it's easy to say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus when everything's, you know, on a sunny day like today, right? But... When the world caves in on you, that's when the so-called Christians give up. Conquering is for those who believe. Conquering, we conquer in this life because our hope is rooted in another life. We conquer because we believe. And because we believe, we keep on keeping on until Christ returns or calls us home. But we're also conquerors because God makes us so. Romans 8. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be what? Able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, Christian, you are a conqueror because of your faith. It's a powerful faith. But ultimately, you are a conqueror because God is faithful towards you to give you the grace that you need to to keep on keeping on in the faith. You are a conqueror because the inseparable love of God has been lavished upon you. But John just doesn't tell us who will experience this great promise. He also tells us who will miss out. Look at verse 8. We're almost done. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with, um, that, excuse me, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. My friends, the honest truth is there is a death after death awaiting those who do not repent and turn and receive the mercy and grace of God. It's that simple. The physical death brings an eternal spiritual death to those who fail to thirst and, and, and drink in uh, the living water that Christ gives them by his grace. Now, when you look at that list, you know, we're often tempted to go, well, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, you know, maybe that, right? Is that, isn't that kind of how we're wired, right? Okay. Um, you need to know that Christians have been all of these things on this list, right? Cowardly, faithless, detestable. Christians have been murderers. You know, Jesus once said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if, even if, if, if you um, curse at someone, you know, it's, it's as if you're wishing they were dead, which is like murderous thoughts, which is almost as bad. He said, if you look at a woman lustfully, I mean, you've committed adultery in your own heart, right? So um, Christians have, have been and done these. We've worshipped false idols. We've been liars. The difference is the Christian has thirsted 
for redemption and reconciliation and has experienced that through Christ, the free gift without payment. Now, some will say, you know, isn't God just overreacting a little here? Isn't he like kind of being a little melodramatic, you know, uh, casting people away from his presence for forever? I mean, it seems a little hard or harsh. I get it. This is something you, we must wrestle with as Christians. But I like how C.S. Lewis portrays it in his book, The Problem of Pain. Here's what he says. In the long run, the answer to all who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. Here it is. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out all their past sins at all costs? <laughs> To give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he's done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that's what he does. Or to summarize it in shorter form. Hell is the place where people who have said no to God for all their life get their wish for all eternity. Where does this leave us this morning? Hopefully on better footing than Huck Finn. (laughs) Mark Twain wrote a story, a famous story uh, of Miss Watson. She's a rather stodgy old uh, fuddy-duddy. Um, she was skinny and uptight and she tries to educate Huck on morality and she began to tell Huck about heaven and well later he mused uh, with these words I'm going to try to do my best Huck Finn voice alright don't laugh at me she said she was going to live as to go to the good place I made up my mind I shouldn't try for it But I never said so, because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now, she had got a start, and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would ever have to do up there is go around all day long with the harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that. Because I wanted him and me to be together. We live in a society full of Miss Watsons and Huck Finns. People without a biblical understanding of what Jesus has promised. And it should cause us to weep. As we see people frantically trying to make this life, here and now, the best it can be, only to find that the thirst is never quenched. People who have bought into the lie that if there is a heaven, well, it sure is boring. We're surrounded by people here in the Hamptons who don't even know that the thirst that they're seeking to quench can only be satisfied by Christ and the living water he offers them. We should weep. 
And you know, many Christians themselves have adopted not a biblical conception of heaven, but a conception more from the pages of Plato. Plato and the other Greek philosophers, they ridiculed the thought of the resurrection of the body. A physical existence was inferior. A disembodied soul, that was ideal. And many Christians believe that a bodiless existence is what's ahead. Souls floating on a cloud. Lots of harps. No wonder so many Christians are enamored with life in the present. No wonder so many Christians' lives don't look any different from their unbelieving neighbors. Now, I'm not saying that Christians must forgo all earthly pleasures. That would be unbiblical too, right? But when we enjoy pleasures here on earth, we must always give thanks to God, for He's the one who gives all good gifts and graces. And we must remind ourselves that the grace that we enjoy now is just a foretaste of what's to come. And therefore, when we enjoy seasons of plenty, we must look to our Savior in heaven with gratitude and with a greater longing for the day in which he returns. Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you believe that? Have you planted this hope deep in your soul? Do you thirst for his redemption and renewal? To the thirsty, Jesus promises that he will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Um, It really seems too good to be true. We're used to new things, never really satisfying. We're thankful that new things in your hands will always be satisfying because they flow from you. May we as your people be um, made new in this moment. May we be reminded of what you have in store. It's grand. It's glorious. It's hard to believe. It's hard to wrap our heads around. And yet we ask that you, by your spirit, would um, help us to comprehend, to understand. Help us to continue to be thirsty conquerors here on this planet until this day comes. We long for the day. We long in the name of Jesus. Amen.